Our text this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby we are given, he, or whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Last week in our introduction to this new series, we have titled the Epistle of Second Peter. In Second Peter chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, we were introduced to the writer of the epistle as Simon Peter. And we were also informed as to those to whom it was written, church age believers. Our expanded translation of those two verses last week stated Simon Peter, bond slave, one of those with the battle plan and the authority to execute it, to those who have as a matter of principle once and for all obtained by their initiation equally precious dependency with us in the sphere of the conformity to the specifications of the plan of the God of us, even our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace to you. And may an attitude of tranquility resulting in stability be multiplied in the sphere of a fully applied perceptive knowledge of the God, even the Lord of us. This is one of those passages that identify Jesus Christ as God. He said, the knowledge of God, even the Lord of us, and where we had that introduction in the first verse, we are given to understand then that Peter thoroughly understood that Jesus was God and that he simply became flesh, that he might live among us, that he might pay our debt, that he might example for us the life then that he might intercede for us after he was gone, sitting in heaven to intercede on our behalf beside the Father. And with the promise that he was going to come again. If I go, he said, I'll prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. We spent a year in looking at the prophecy related to that and seeing how the stages are being placed uh, uh, in notice that the curtain call is going to be soon from all we can read and understand in the prophecy relative to the second coming of Christ. In our introduction last week, we were given the assurance that Peter had the heart of a servant. But along with having the heart of a servant, he had God's battle plan and the authority to execute it. That little word apostle we saw 
comes from the Greek word apostolos, identifying uh, one who is in uh, the Navy, the, the officer that has the battle plan and has the authority to execute it. That gives us the assurance then as we read through the writings of these apostles as they wrote under the direction and ministry of the Holy Spirit that this is God's plan and being revealed to us and that they executed it and now we are to carry the tar- torch in our generation as the representatives of Christ. Peter was an apostle and his objective in writing was to provide an instruction manual, an instruction manual concerning our role in God's plan and to identify along with the instructions the resources that are ours day by day so that we might utilize them in living out the role that God designed for us. Now in our study in this lesson today, we'll examine Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 and 4. In these verses, Peter introduces the resources that God has provided each of us as believers to enable us to live that life and to manifest godliness. Look with me then at verse 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Literally, Peter says, after introducing himself and those to whom he was writing and what his objective was, seeing that that it's translated according as his divine power, but seeing that his divine natural inherent power has been given to us is the way the text reads. Notice that word divine. According as his divine power. The Greek word is theos, and it identifies an adjective that describes a quality. It's not referring to the divine one, but the characteristics of the divine one. God has provided such a marvelous plan that the very characteristics that were manifested in the life of Christ as he lived upon the earth, we now have a capability of manifesting those characteristics. I say we have the capability. There's a process, and of course our free will is involved there, and our hanging out with our old nature, our unregenerate man, uh, gives us a challenge in order for us to attain those characteristics. But God has provided the resources through which we can attain the characteristics of a divine nature. The word power, the divine that His divine power hath given us all the things that relate to life. That word power is the word dunameos, 
and you've heard it before. Uh, if not here, you've heard it uh, in various circumstances and situations where the word dynamite is mentioned. Because that word dynamite comes from this word. It identifies a natural inherent power. When we read the scriptures concerning God's ministry to us as believers and to God's provision for us as believers, we recognize the giving of the Holy Spirit was to provide us with dunamis power, with a natural inherent power. It was not natural before we were born again, but as a result of our salvation, we're new creatures in Christ, and now we have a natural inherent ability within us, a power within us, that we can live the life that God has called us to live. It's the natural inherent power that has been given unto us. I want to call attention to the statement, has hath been given unto us, to point out that that word hath been Dato Romanes means has as a matter of principle given in a completed action in which we participated with the result that we continue to possess. As a teenager beginning to investigate the original languages of the scripture, I marveled at the detail that we find in Scripture that supports the major doctrines that are stated in Scripture, but that every text that deals with those various doctrines is backed up by the grammar and the construction of it as we find it in the New Testament. This statement I have made because we uh, talked a bit about eternal security last Sunday, made the reference that for many times Baptists were about the only ones that believed in eternal security and other uh, denominations uh, did not understand the completion of God's sacrifice and price for us and the, the once and for all situation. But every passage of Scripture in the New Testament that deals with salvation is either in the perfect tense, as this one is, and the perfect tense, bear with me a little bit, the perfect tense identifies a action that has been completed and the result continues on. So every passage of Scripture in the New Testament that speaks about our salvation will use, has the option of using this word, this grammar form that identifies that we have been saved in a point of time and in a completed action and that result of that continues forever. Our salvation was solely based on what Christ did, not on what we did. And when we accept that, 
then we are sealed unto the day of our redemption, the redemption of our bodies at the resurrection at the rapture of the church. The other form of grammar that is used relative to the issues of salvation. You have the perfect tense that we have here. A completed action and the results continue. The other is the aorist tense that identifies a point of time taken out of time, divorced from time, and perpetuated forever. The moment you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, that moment of time was taken out of time and perpetuated forever. It is irrevocable. It cannot change. Now we'll see in our study that the utilization of the power, that access that was given to us, is dependent upon our utilizing it. We have it, and we have it as a potential as we're going to see. But this particular word translated has given is uh, given to us as a participle. That means this is a matter of principle. This is a matter of principle that we have as a matter of principle given in a completed action in which we participated with a result that we continue to possess all things that are necessary in this life and in godly living. That can be frightening to a degree because it places the responsibility upon us. God has provided everything, as we see in this verse, as a matter of principle, He has provided everything that pertains to this life and that pertains to our becoming godly. Now we spend a lot of time, no doubt, asking God or maybe even reminding God that he has promised he's going to provide everything that pertains to this life and the taxes are coming due this month. And this is going to happen and this situation has developed. Are you aware? Did you see the notice that I got? Uh, are you aware that the car broke down and I got to put brakes on it? We, we recognize that he has promised to provide all that we need, not all that we might desire. Oh, by the way, he has promised to provide our very desires. But there's a prerequisite to that. If we fix our mind on him and submit to what He has designed for us, then He will give us our desires. That That's because our desires will change and we will desire the things that He desires for us as we fix our mind on Him. So He has, as a matter of principle, given to us in a completed action in which we participated with our faith with the result that we continue to possess all things that are pertaining to this life. All things that pertain to this life. So that does cover the tax bill. That does cover the brakes on the car. That does cover even the things we desire, assuming that we have aligned our desires with His divine purpose and plan, 
and uh, everything that we need to live day by day, He has already deposited and provided for us. So it doesn't hurt for us to remind Him that we are mindful that He is going to provide and so we are going to relax in it. Now, I don't know if you're like I am. I, I like to wrestle with it myself for a while. Uh, to worry about it and to remind him about it uh, from time to time. But it becomes uh, a moot once we uh, get to that point where we think we need to remind him because then we fall back upon the reality. He knows. He cares. He has already provided all that we need that pertains to this life. So when God calls us as unbelievers to salvation and we accept that invitation to allow His sacrifice to pay our debt, at that moment the deposit is made for everything that relates. Now it was made in eternity past, but our name goes on it when we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that that's where I, the text that we read said that we participated. Now, the reason we know that that is a requirement is because in the Greek text, this word, this participle, is in the middle voice. Now, we don't have a middle voice in English. We have the passive voice, and we have the active voice. The passive voice says, I am being acted upon. The active voice says, I am doing the acting. So, it's whether I was taken to the store in the passive, or I went to the store in the active voice. But the Greek has that middle voice. And the middle voice is one where the subject participates in the action. It's not a focus upon his doing all of it, but his participation in it. So when you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, you participate at that moment in receiving the credit for everything that pertains to this life. Now you probably will call this week and say, a got this bill coming due, I've got this that I don't know how we're going to work it out and how that's going to to do. How do I access that that God has already provided? The word is faith. Faith. Which means to place our weight or our dependency upon something. So everything that we need in life and the things that we desire when our desires are in line with the structure that God has established for us is already there and we participate by believing that, by relying upon that, by putting our weight, our trust, our dependency upon it. But look, he didn't say just in this life. 
the material things that we need and the spiritual gifting that we need. But he said in reaching that level of maturity in our life, wherein we are identified as godly. He said not only at that moment of salvation did we participate in then having access to these things, but we also were given access to all that is required in order that we might be godly. That word in the English has been banded about so much that uh, it's difficult maybe to understand what being godly is. I'm sure if your family's like mine, you've got family members that have helped you try to understand uh, what godliness ought to be in your life and how you ought to uh, model that for us. But what does the word godly mean? Well, the Greek word is eusebian. Eusebian. And, and I defined it using another word that has certainly been abused. Piety that is characterized by a Godward attitude which does that which is pleasing to Him. Godliness means a piety, a, a, form, a manner of, of your life that is characterized by a Godward attitude that does that which is pleasing to Him. A godly woman is identified uh, in that Mother's Day passage uh, that's found in the book of Proverbs. But we refer to individuals from time to time uh, perhaps as being godly. And we hear the Scripture challenging us to godliness. So what it's challenging us to is a, a Godward attitude that does that which is pleasing to Him. Not doing our own thing, but doing His thing. Having And, and notice, it's an attitude before it's an action. The actions or the characterizations of that will be manifest if we have that attitude of doing that which is pleasing to God. You see, whenever we commit sin, it's because we've done that which was pleasing to us instead of that which was pleasing to God. So God has provided at the moment of our salvation, and Peter wants us to understand this because Peter's going to call us through the Holy Spirit to a godly life. And he wants us to understand up front, God's promised the provision of everything that we need materially and physically to live this life upon the earth and to do it with godliness. He has provided the ability for us to have an attitude that puts Him and His purpose and His plan ahead of ours. Because His purpose and His plan is for our best. Our joy, our happiness, our fullness in life is not dependent upon our achieving those things that we want. 
But our real joy and our real happiness comes when we have an attitude that lives according to the standards that He's revealed because He's established those standards for our joy and our happiness. Not because He's God and sits on the throne and wants adoration. No, He has designed the way of life for the Christian that we're going to see in this epistle because it will produce the greatest joy and the greatest blessing and happiness, even the greatest peace in your life that is available. So God has provided everything that's necessary to living this life, everything that's necessary to developing an attitude that does that which is pleasing to Him. Notice how. Through the means of the knowledge of Him that hath called us to His glory. That word through, little preposition, dia, in the Greek, it means through the means of, by instrument of. We are able to benefit from those provisions that God has made through the specific knowledge of Him. I say it's through the specific knowledge of Him because the article, the word the, is in the Greek text, and it was just talking about the characteristics of knowledge, it would not have the article. But the article is there. So Peter, under the guiding of the Holy Spirit, inserted that article to say there is a specific, full, experiential knowledge that we must have in order for these things to operate in our life. It is the knowledge of Him. Now that word knowledge is from the word epinosos. And it means a full experiential knowledge. Not talking about just head knowledge. It's not just talking about just having the facts. It's understanding how to use those facts, and how they relate to your life. This word, fully experiential knowledge, identifies knowledge you have understood, and you are now able to apply that to your life because you have accepted it in faith. Gnosis is knowledge. Epinosis is knowledge that is understood, accepted, and now is applicable in my life. Every time we hear the Word of God, we need to recognize then that there is knowledge coming from God, but that knowledge is not going to change our lives unless we accept it as a standard for us, that this is God's plan for us, and I'm willing to accept it. As a matter of fact, there's a function that goes on in the human brain in that process. Because uh, as you hear information, as you acquire knowledge, it's taken into the left frontal lobe. That's where your human brain is designed to take in information, to 
process that information. Comprehension occurs in the left front part, we call it a lobe, of the human brain. But your behavior is dictated not by what you know up here in the left frontal lobe. Your behavior is dictated from the right frontal lobe. It's there that your conscience, your norms and standards, your rights and your wrongs are developed. And so every time we are exposed to something new, to knowledge, it comes into the left frontal lobe and there we have a, a file cabinet set up and I guess that's old-fashioned. We have all kinds of digital files set up and we are able then to retain uh, that information and it's filed away some way, sometimes filed away and never be looked at again. But it comes in and it's processed in the left front part of your brain. But it's not going to affect your behavior. It's not going to change your actions until in that processing you make a decision about whether that is true or false for you. It's funny how truth and falsity varies from individual to individual. But are we going to accept what God has said as the standard and what God's instructions are to the degree that you accept that as a standard for yourself, it is moved over into another file in your right frontal lobe. It's only what you have filed in your right frontal lobe that's going to dictate your behavior. So if you're not doing what the Bible says to be doing and what you've said, yeah, I believe that's God's word. I believe that God said that. If you're not doing that, then it's because you haven't processed it you haven't accepted that as a norm or standard for yourself one that you will live by your free will has to make a choice every time you're exposed to knowledge to information so we are able to receive things from God his instruction and his guidance and as we get the full experiential knowledge as we get epinosis as we get usable knowledge knowledge that has been accepted and mixed with faith then we begin to see the change in our life we begin to see godliness manifest it's the knowledge of the one that hath called us to glory. God has called us to glory. The word glory is another one of those words that gets banded about, especially in churches and in theology. The word glory means honor or esteem that is granted based on character. Honor or esteem that is based on character. God has, as a matter of principle, called us to honor and esteem based on character. Our character that receives honor and esteem will be a reflection of what we have 
learned of God, the instructions of God, the information that we have in the Word of God, how we have processed that with our free will to accept it or reject it as a standard for us. Now, again, we may say, oh, I've accepted that as a standard, then why did you go against it? We fool ourselves into thinking we've accepted it. And, well, most of the time, well, we've got to accept it all the time if we're going to have a full-time godliness exist, exhibited. And that's why, of course, we have First John 1, 9, is to remind us of the need that we have to acknowledge that was sin, that's against what I accepted as a norm and standard, and uh, uh, none of us sin in any area uh, that we have not compromised what we really believe about it. And so we need that full knowledge of God because God having as a matter of principle called us in repeated points of time into his own personal honor and esteem based on character. He has called us as a matter of principle. That's because the word is a participle. It's a principle with God that he has called us not once, but in repeated points of time. You say, well, my English Bible doesn't say that. That's why I'm here. (laughs) That's why I beat you over the head with the Greek from time to time. Because the original language is the repetitive aorist here. He didn't, as a matter of principle, just call us once to this godly character. He repeatedly calls us to that into his own personal honor and esteem based on character, or as we identify it, godly. And then he adds, and virtue. And virtue. Archite is the word that is translated from Greek into English for virtue. It means that quality which procures the highest Opinion. God has, at salvation, made available to us knowledge. We were given a human spirit. We were born spiritually when we called upon the name of the Lord. And with that human spirit, we were able to understand spiritual phenomena. We were able to understand the things of God. And our calling is to attain this knowledge that we will mix with faith, that we will accept as a standard for us. Because God keeps repeatedly calling us into His own personal honor and esteem based on character and that quality of life that procures the highest opinion. Now, Paul, Peter is emphasizing this because he's about to introduce to us this concept of being sojourners, being representatives of Christ, and we're not going to represent Christ properly unless we apply these basic principles to our life. The principle of taking in knowledge, the principle of mixing that knowledge with faith, accepting it as a norm or standard, 
and cycling that then into my frame of reference so my conscience is triggered when I violate it, uh, a norm or standard that I've established, and having it there so I can apply it whenever the temptation or the circumstances come. So that third verse should read this way. Seeing that his divine inherent power has, as a matter of principle, completely been given to us with the result that we continue to possess all things pertaining to life, all things pertaining to piety that is characterized by a Godward attitude that performs that which is pleasing to him through the experience, the full experiential knowledge of the one having as a matter of principle called us into his own honor, esteem, and that quality which procures the highest opinion. We might fault the translators for not really giving us all that the scripture holds, but you see the complexity of it. You'll have to read that paragraph over a number of times this week to let it sink in. And then you'll have to make a decision about it. Am I going to accept that as truth, as a norm or standard, as God's revelation? And am I going to apply it to my life? So it introduces the provisions that we have in Christ which enable us to live the life and to manifest the godliness that is afforded to you and I as believers. Let me review the verse and identify the basics before moving on to verse 4, where we'll see some of the results that are related to it. Point number one, God's inherent power has given us all that is required to live the Christian life and to manifest godliness. I hope that makes you uncomfortable. It does me. To be uncomfortable, to realize that we don't always relax in the provision that He's made, that He has given us all that's required to live the Christian life and to manifest His character, godliness. Secondly, The use of the participle indicates that God has made it a principle to give us the resources we need. It's a principle with God to to provide our resources. Thirdly, this grace gift of God has been given completely with the result that we continue to possess it. You have this resource continually. Fourthly, these provisions make it possible for us to live up to the calling and to the standard of God. Number five, not only are we equipped through God's enabling power to live the Christian life, but we are provided the resources to maintain the qualities that will procure for us the highest opinion of others, and that includes the opinion of God as well. Number six, this power is released in the believer's life through the full experiential knowledge that is emanating from God. Epinosis needs to become a word 
in your vocabulary. As Christians, we need to be familiar with epinosis, knowledge that is understood, mixed with faith, and usable to my circumstance. Number six, this power is released in the believer's life through the full experiential knowledge then that is emanating from God with three aspects that I wanted to mention of that. First of all, it's full knowledge. God has given us His Word. Through it, we are able to know the very mind of Christ. Now, I said we're able. <laughs> he gave us the information. We have to study it. We have to read it. We have to study it. We have to make decisions about it. We have to apply it. But He has provided us in His Word with all the knowledge. Maybe not all that we want, but all that we need. Experiential knowledge. We must apply the word then that we have learned in our own lives. Knowledge must be applied to our circumstances and situations in order for us to attain that godliness that is spoken of in the text. It's emanating from God. That fancy $3 word that means it's coming from God. This is knowledge that is coming from God. His word is complete, the canons closed, but the Holy Spirit is our teacher and is bringing to us daily the application of the word in various forms and circumstances that we encounter. The expanded translation of the first three verses then readies us for the fourth verse, which I said we will examine next time. But I got it ready to go. And you've got it in hand. So let's see if we can just go through briefly and get to the basics. You need verse 4 in order to support verse 3 for this week. It says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now we could park here for a year. We won't. Not even a month. But most of you have been through basic Bible doctrine. Basic Bible doctrine establishes the provisions uh, uh, that we need in order to relate to the various passages of Scripture that we encounter. And uh, so I will be addressing some of that uh, again and reminding you of some of those things. But notice this verse says, whereby. He's referring back to what we had earlier in this third verse. And so it's through which things this provision that God as a matter of principle has given us everything that's necessary to live life and everything that's necessary to live it godly. He's done that by giving us great and precious promises. Oh, don't miss the word exceeding. Exceeding great and precious promises.
And it says in the English text, it says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Through these things, through the provision that God has made, giving us everything that we need to live life, everything that we need to live godly, it's through those things, those provisions that are given to us exceeding great and precious promises. But let me call your attention to our given. Dedo retai is the Greek verb. It's in the perfect tense. Completed action again. You're going to get some of this grammar down so that you'll understand it when I, when I say it. But it's completed action that God in His provisions in verse 3 has given us those things that through the use of those things, then are given to us exceeding great promises. But there's something that miss is missing. Even though it's a perfect tense, which means it's being given to us in an action with the result that we continue always to have it. It's in the middle voice. The middle voice again, remember we don't have one in English. We have active voice, subject does the acting, Passive voice, subject to acted upon. The Greeks had middle voice. The emphasis of the middle voice is the subject participates in the action. And oh, there's so many doctrines and teachings in the Word of God that use the middle voice that we miss that in the English because they fail to translate. Now all they got to do is translate participate. We don't perform the action alone. The action is not performed on us alone. We participate. We participate in receiving in a completed action with a continuing result. When did you participate at your salvation? When you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, He made this process accessible to you. He deposited it, remember, in your account. Can't write checks on it, but prayer is about as close as we come to check writing with it. But we participated in receiving this when we received Christ as our Savior. Along with that package then comes exceedingly great and precious promises. Exceedingly great. Magista. This is the strongest word to emphasize. It would be like underscoring with three lines under it and a couple of exclamation points along with it. These promises which God has given us are exceedingly great and they are precious. That adjective identifies valuable. They are valuable. So the precious and exceedingly great, the construction indicates both precious and great are adjectives. An adjective is a word that ascribes a quality or a characteristic to something. 
both precious and great, are qualities or characteristics to define the promises that God How many promises has God given to us? <laughs> yeah. I got up to 7,000 one time and had them run out, but thought I was through, and every time I opened the Word, it seemed I'd find another one. There's over 7,000 promises in the Bible that relate to you and I as Christians here upon the earth. Not talking about the ones for eternity. We're talking about the ones that relate to us now. now. I don't know. Perhaps you are in the same category that I find myself from time to time that one of them's about all I need. <laughs> and the, the one that I use the most is Romans 8.28. And we know, this is a promise, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Wow. See, when we focus on that, you have to cancel the pity party. You have to stop sending out invitations to that. Because God is working that situation into everything else for your good. For your good. That's only one. There are over 7,000 promises that relate to us living as Christians here upon the They are exceedingly great and valuable promises. And by the word, the word promises, we could translate it legitimate promises. There are promises that have been notarized. The legal term is used here that identifies these promises have been notarized by God. We need to use that, rely upon that reality then. Because he says that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. The word that is hina. It means in order that through the means of these promises you might have uh oh the potential. <laughs> the potential for being partners in common of the divine nature. See, God's not going to force you into that. He has in the positional world, positionally, we are holy and without blame. Positionally, no sin is ever charged to our account. Positionally, we cannot sin because when we perform the act, think the thought, do the deed, it's transferred to Christ and He's the one that's guilty of it. God does that positionally, but experientially, where we live, our free will is still involved. You see, with your free will, you can't say, all right, Lord, chuck that one. God, chuck that one up to Christ. I'll take that one myself. No, we don't have that option. But in living according to the promises of God, He has given these promises and notarized them that you might have the potential to become partners Income. The potential leaves it up to you 
to make the application of God's Word to your life and your circumstances. That you might become common partners. That's an interesting term. Koi no kai. It's a masculine word which indicates that becoming a partner in common requires your action. If the word is masculine, then the emphasis is upon initiation. You have to initiate the action. You have the potential. Now apply that, apply what the word says to your circumstance, and you will be moving along in that process of becoming partners in common of a divine nature. The use of the feminine gender in divine and nature indicates that's a response to our application of God's principles. We initiate the reliance upon it. We initiate the action then of applying God's word to our life. And when we apply God's word to our life, he does the work of making us common partners of a divine nature. We're able to look at, at, at things from God's perspective. We call that divine viewpoint instead of human viewpoint. And we can do that as we apply his word to our life. And here's why. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Ooh, I didn't know we had escaped. <laughs> well, yes, I did. But on the surface, you mean, it seems to me like I'm still exposed to the corruption. It seems to me like, and this will probably shock you from time to time, I even see some corruption in my own life. He has made the statement here that as a matter of principle, in a point of time, we fled from the specific corruption. We made a commitment. We made a decision. And in that decision to accept Christ as Savior, His perfection was credited our account and, and our sinfulness was credited His account. We had been locked into a situation where we were dominated by an old nature that we inherited from Adam all because He listened to His wife Eve and ate what He was told not to eat. And we received then a corrupt nature we are born spiritually dead. We are born with an inherent disposition to sin. We have identified in the past that the, the structure of the old nature has an area of strength that produces human good. It has an area of weakness that produces uh, sin. It has a trend. Some of us have a trend toward being do-gooders. Others of us have a trend toward being lawless and rebellious. It's inherent. It's part of our nature. It's in the genetic makeup. I'm working on that. Not like I ought to be. I need to vote published, but it's not getting much activity right now. There's... Anyway, 
It's genetic. That sinful nature was passed on through our fathers. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that God visits the sins of the fathers upon the second and third generation. God doesn't penalize the sins of the fathers, but the nature is inherent, the second and third generation at least. And we find that genetic pool makes that up. We were delivered from the authority of that old nature. Before you received Christ as Savior, you really didn't have a chance. Because your nature was corrupt. But at salvation, the authority of the old nature that dominated us is taken away. Not his presence. Not his ability. But his ability is now limited by our free will. And we make the choice as to whether the old nature is going to control us now or whether the Holy Spirit is going to control us. We make that decision. Before we were saved, it was made for us. We didn't have an out, but now we do. And so we have been delivered from that worst condition through the influence of our old nation, uh, our old nature, that is uh, in the world order, the world system today. Through the lust of our flesh. Through the lust of our flesh. So this is how verse 4 should read. Through which things we have participated in receiving in a completed act with continuing result unto ourselves exceedingly great and valuable legitimate promises in order that through the means of these promises you might have the potential to become partners in common of the divine nature, having as a matter of principle and a point of time fled from the specific state of being in a worse condition through the influence of this specific world system in the sphere of life. Now, First John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 identifies these lusts. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of this world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You have a pattern of sin in your life related to one of those three. The lust of the flesh, satisfaction of the senses, the lust of the eyes, materialism, a need to desire and possess material things. The pride of life, ego. Now, if you don't think you have any one of those, well, focus on the last one. <laughs> pride probably getting in the way to keep that from happening. James tells us about dealing then with temptation. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bring forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death, 
Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no bearableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But ye doers of the word, and not hearers, only deceiving your own selves. So God has given us promises that provide a potential for us to develop the characteristics of a divine nature. Are you interested? We're able to develop that potential by learning and applying these promises to our lives. When we know, believe, and apply the promises God has given us, we'll take on the mind of Christ. And that process is identified in James chapter 1 verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved, make it 19 and 20. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Filthiness is immorality. Superfluity of naughtiness is the high-fangled terminology to identify self-righteousness. Superfluity of naughtiness means a person who is self-righteous. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Notice the engrafted word. We've distributed the word this morning. I've spoken about it. I've ranted and raved a little about it. I've bragged about it a little bit. About what God has provided and what God has given. And uh, the word has gone out. And you've listened to it. But it does not become engrafted. See that word engrafted? That means what you find in the word of God and what is shown to you in the word of God, you have accepted and transferred that to your right front law. You've accepted it so it becomes a standard for your life. That's engrafted. When you move it from the left front lobe to the right lobe, that's engrafted. So we need to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, and we need to cast aside all filthiness, that is moral defilement, and all superfluity of naughtiness, self-righteousness, and we need to receive with meekness the engrafted word. Go over those verses. I put the expanded translation verses there at the end uh, of that together so you can read it all uh, together in the processes. But we need to understand then in closing the applicational principles. Two verses. 3 and 4, of 1 Peter, 2 Peter, excuse me, chapter 1. 
they form an introduction as we use all four of these verses then, we establish some basic principles that we're going to need to follow as we go throughout the study that is ahead. God's inherent power has given us all that's required to live the Christian life and to manifest godliness. We said the use of the participle indicates God has made it a principle to give us the resources we need. This grace gift of God has been completely with the result that we continue to possess it. The provisions make it possible for us to live up to the calling and the standard of God. Not only are we equipped through God's enabling power to live the Christian life, but we're provided the resources to maintain the qualities that will procure for us the highest opinion of others, including God. That power is released in the believer's life through the full experiential knowledge that emanates from God. So as a result of salvation, we've been given great, valuable, and legitimate promises by which we now have the potential for taking on the divine nature. Because we have in a point of time taken out of time and perpetuated forever participated in receiving authority over the old nature. Still there, but now he no longer is in control. We make the choices. The potential is there. We simply need to apply the word of God to our daily experiences We need to reflect the light that now lives in us. We need to become godly. Can't wait till next week to find the how to do that. Well, I'm not going to hold you any longer today. But here's the introduction to next week. This is the process. Add to your faith virtue. Within the sphere of virtue, add knowledge. In the sphere of knowledge, add temperance. In the sphere of your temperance, add patience. In the sphere of your patience, add godliness. In the sphere of your godliness, add brotherly love. And in the sphere of your brotherly love, add self-sacrificial love. That's the formula for developing a divine nature So join us next week. We'll explore it. Try to keep it a little shorter. It's hard to know where I can cut this off and pick it up next week. And uh, we'll be exploring it. We could spend a week on each one. I'm not sure how we're going to do that. But we will look at the process. And it's like concentric circles. You throw a stone into the, the lake. And you see the circles that form. When we start from the circle with the circle of faith, the sphere of faith. And in that sphere of faith, we're going to add virtue. And that's going to be another sphere. And each one of these is a sphere, an area, an environment of influence and of activity. We'll work it out then. But it all begins at salvation.
The scripture says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.